thing is from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 5, and it can be found on page 743 in the Bibles. 743. Invitation to the thirsty. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendour. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, uh, As Dave said, we're going to begin uh, the new year with a very slow look at one chapter of the Old Testament. Uh, We often do large chunks of uh, scripture together. Uh, The next three weeks, we're going to do Isaiah 55 in very small chunks. And uh, I hope that uh, we will uh, enjoy it as we go. So let me lead us in a prayer, and then we will get underway. Dear God, we thank you for your ancient word and pray that it may speak in living tones into our hearts and minds and lives at the beginning of this new year. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, I have here the um, Economist Guide to the year ahead. Some way know that I am a, uh, a, a reasonably dedicated reader of The Economist weekly newspaper. And uh, every year The Economist publishes its guide to the 12 months ahead. I still have the 2022 copy that managed to completely miss the war in Ukraine, the energy crisis, and everything that flowed from it. The Economist this year speaks of the number of wars, Ukraine, Palestine, the Sudan, others that just don't make uh, headlines. This year is the year of elections. The biggest election year in history. Eight of the ten most populous nations in the world with elections of varying fairness and transparency. A year with many threats, some existential, so people say, climate change, AI, energy, domestic issues, migration, the economy, the possibility of another pandemic. Threats abound. No wonder 
there was what at least I thought I detected as a fairly somber tone in King Charles's Christmas address. Now, you've got with you a little outline of this morning's sermon, and uh, at the top of it, there is a quote from a famous previous king's Christmas address. This is George VI. It is Christmas 1939. In other words, at the very beginning of the Second World War. The story goes that a young Princess Elizabeth, aged about 13, handed to her father a suggestion of a poem that he might use in his Christmas address. It's a poem by uh, somebody called Minnie Haskins, and it begins like this. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. That's an interesting opening line, is it not? The man who stood at the gate of the year. What would you say to that man? Well, George VI said in these words, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. As Dave has already reminded us, what is unknown to us is, of course, marvelously not unknown to God. When John was invited into heaven, you remember, at the beginning of Revelation, he sees a throne and it's not empty. For the Ancient of Days is seated on it. It's very good to know that, isn't it? So what is unknown to us is not unknown to God. And we have the privilege of God's ancient word. And if you have it open on your knee, as I hope you have, we are going to look into Isaiah 55 for this uh, light. A lamp to our feet and a light to our paths, as the psalmist put it. I've given rather more detail in the outline than I do sometimes because I understand some people really appreciate that. At any rate, to look back afterwards. I hope, though, that your eyes are going to be focused with me on this great chapter. It is a pivotal chapter a climactic chapter in what is an awfully long Bible book. If you've ever tried to read Isaiah through, you'll know it's very easy to start well and then get lost in the undergrowth around the end of the, uh, chapter, the 20s and early 30s. It is a long read. We are going to try to read Isaiah 55 in the context of all the book and... I think probably that for those who've been around Christian things for a while, elements of Isaiah 55 will be quite well known to you. The invitation that we start with this morning to those who are thirsty, come buy and eat to those who have no money. The great statement that God's ways are not like our ways will we'll be next week. The idea of God's word being like rain falling on barren, dry land, or the closing vision of even the trees clapping. We probably know the different elements of it. I hope that we will be able to see how they fit together 
my plan is for us to uh, not treat uh, this as um, some treat their Christmas box of chocolates. Were you given a box of chocolates at Christmas? You know what happens, don't you? You open it up and you get the plan and you think, oh yeah, I'm have one of those. And everyone sort of picks their favourite. It's very easy, I think, particularly in a big book of the Old Testament like Isaiah, to treat it a bit like a box of chocolates. You know, so we have a favourite verse here and a favourite one there. What I want us to do is to try to put it together, and that that requires a little bit of background. Isaiah 55 begins then with a great invitation. Our title this morning is A Divine Invitation. Uh, Our King Charles referred to those who've been invited to his coronation uh, in Westminster Abbey. It must have been quite an invite to get through the post, don't you think? The first coronation for 70 years would have been quite an invite to get. You and I have on our knees an even greater invitation because it is issued from a higher throne. And marvelously, it is addressed not just to a few, but to all who have ears to hear. A divine invitation addressed to everyone. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Now these words are addressed to the people of Isaiah's day. Now that wasn't last year, it wasn't a hundred years ago. We're talking the 8th century BC, so the 700s BC, you know you have to count backwards. So in order for us to understand this, we've got to go back there before we come to today. I've got a little diagram for you here, courtesy of uh, 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 the Nigel Reed Technical Department, and it goes like this. Now there is our text. You've got the text on your knee. It's Isaiah 55. What I'm going to show you here applies to any reading of a Bible passage, and particularly any reading of an Old Testament Bible passage. The first thing we need to do is we need to go back to its context. What did it mean then? What was the author's intention? How did it play out in that time? You have to go back there first before coming all the way through to now and asking, what then does it mean today? You've got to think about what kind of writing it is. We have what is called prophetic oracle. Now, you and I aren't used to reading prophetic oracle. You don't find that in podcasts or news media today. So it's a type of literature that uses images that repeats itself. So you go back to the context and then you come through to now. But if it is an Old Testament passage, there is one more thing you have to do. Oh, Nigel. Oh, there we are. There we are. What you have to do is you need to bring it through Jesus. 
because the Old Testament promises are all fulfilled in him. And I am reading this passage not as an Old Testament citizen of Israel, but as a New Testament believer in whichever country I find myself. And so I have to bring the passage through Jesus. Now, that is a very simple outline of something that every preacher is meant to be careful to do in their preparation. And we are all meant to be doing that. And so we're going to try and apply that as we read Isaiah 55. So my thanks to Nigel for that. An invitation, then, that is addressed to everybody. If you cast your eye back to chapter 54 and to verse 10, you'll see a very important aspect of what Isaiah is dealing with here. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet, says the Lord, you remember the prophet is standing in the place of the Lord, thus says the Lord, this is what the Lord says, so Isaiah's words are what God says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my, so that is the Lord speaking, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. This covenant of peace made first with Abraham, renewed and reaffirmed to David, is what is referred to in verse 3 of our reading this morning. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. And this is the heritage of all of the servants of the Lord. Look at verse 17, just before our reading this morning. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. If you and I today are servants of the Lord through the gospel of Jesus, then this covenant of peace is your heritage and mine as well. So that, verse 17, no weapon forged against you will prevail. Now, that is a great and famous Bible promise, is it not? That is true spiritually for us, and that gave hope to them, even in exile. You know, this last part of Isaiah is speaking into the people's circumstances having been exiled from the land. They find themselves in Babylon without a king and without a temple and without a land. No weapon forged against you will prevail. And so it was that on that Christmas night, the angels spoke of the coming of peace. Announcing good news of peace to all mankind through the birth of Jesus. God's covenant of peace was coming to all people, which is our common heritage in Christ. An invitation addressed 
to everyone, not just to those citizens of Judah in the 8th century BC, not just to those who are ethnically Jewish, but to men and women, old and young, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, from every people and language and culture. Amen? It is a marvelous thing, is it not? An invitation addressed to everyone. And it is an invitation to enjoy a rich feast. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. The table, as it were, is laid. It is spread with goodies. The food and the drink are magnificent And what's more, you can eat and feast without having to pay the bill afterwards. Isaiah knows that because he has, just in the immediately previous chapters, spoken of the one who, as God's suffering servant, will, as it were, pay for this feast on behalf of all those who put their faith and trust in him. Here then is a marvelous invitation. It is language that Jesus himself picks up. Can you keep your finger in Isaiah 55 and come with me into the New Testament? You need the Gospel of John and chapter 6 in our church Bibles, page 1070. 1070. Now, this is after the feeding of the 5,000. And I'm going to pick up reading at verse 27. I want you to have Isaiah 55's invitation in mind as I read this. Here is Jesus speaking. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Do you get the illusion? Why do you labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Yeah? Which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to be doing the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread. 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Well, the allusions are clear, aren't they? Here Jesus is speaking of himself as the bread of life, and he has in mind this great divine invitation back in Isaiah 55. Now, the language here on the lips of Jesus is symbolic language. He's he's speaking of himself symbolically as bread. Uh, Technically, this is called sacramental language. When we come later this morning to share bread and wine, the bread is symbolic of the body of Christ. The wine is symbolic of the blood of Christ. But it is no mere remembrance. This is quite important. It's not merely a history lesson about what God did back there then. It is a promise of what God will do here now today. That is, we are told, aren't we, take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. You remember that by doing this. And the this is not just the eating, it's not just sort of chewing on him, munching in your mouth. It is believe, it is feeding on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Are you with me? That is why it is so important. And that is the rich feast that is being offered. Of course, it anticipates the great end time banquet. So here we have an invitation, an invitation to everyone to come to a rich feast, to the hungry and to the thirsty, and we are meaning spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. And it is Jesus who is the bread from heaven. And marvelously, we are invited to feed on him. Listen to his words from verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Words, you see, that come alive, don't they? When we have Isaiah 55 in our minds. Let's come back to our chapter. A divine invitation. An invitation addressed to everyone. An invitation offering a rich feast, yes. And like any other invitation, one that requires a response. It has an RSVP on the bottom. Respondez, s'il vous plaît, if your French can cope with that. So just as an invitation from Buckingham Palace to attend the coronation needed a and I imagine people would have been fairly brisk, don't you think, in sending those responses. So God's invitation invites a response. 
That was true in Isaiah's day. For those to whom Isaiah preached needed themselves to respond by faith to God. It was true in Jesus' day. Those he spoke to, the disciples and the crowds, needed to respond by faith. It is true for you and for me and for men and women everywhere today. What does it require, this response? Look at verse 3. Give ear and come to me. There's the invitation, isn't it? To come. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant that is a promise, a guarantee with you. And it is a promise of God's faithful love as promised to King David. David, who has become a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander, one whose influence will extend beyond the nation to the nations. And great David's greater son will one day appear to be the saviour of the world. What a marvellous invitation. And the response, well, the response is to have ears to hear, to listen, actually to come to him with our own faith and trust, and then to live in the light of these things, feeding on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Now, friends, of course, it's not the only invitation that will land on your mat. Uh, Let me say particularly to those at the beginning of their lives and their discipleship, it's not the only invitation you'll get. King Solomon wrote about the alternative invitation in Proverbs chapter 9. If you've never read that, may I commend it to you later on. It is... There are two great invitations in Proverbs chapter 9. They're both to sit down to a feast. One is from wisdom, and the other is from folly. The folly invitation looks very good. It is broadcast far and wide. And yet, when you get to the table, you find that the dead are there. It is a terrible terrible conclusion to the chapter. It's a very fine chapter to read. So it's not the only invitation that lands on the mat, but it is a marvelous invitation. An invitation that is issued to all people everywhere and an invitation that, well, I thought at the beginning of a new year would be a marvelous place to start. For this is the best of all invitations. It is issued from a higher throne. It promises an everlasting covenant. It brings the guarantee that as we feed on him, we shall never die. It is an invitation fulfilled in great David's greater son. Well, friends, let's uh, (coughs) finish at this point. May I suggest that it would do us all some good at the beginning of this year to ponder what does it mean to feed on him? How am I going to feed on him this year? 
How seriously am I going to take that? It's an invitation that applies not just to Sundays, of course, but for every day of the week. It is an invitation that draws us, doesn't it, onto our knees in prayer, that draws us to open our Bibles, even if it's just a little, but to do so day by day. It is an invitation as we walk through our lives to feed on him. It is an invitation to the spiritually hungry and the spiritually thirsty. It is God's means of sustaining us in the year ahead. Which brings me back to Minnie Haskins' poem. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. Let's pray. Father, please help us indeed to do that. We thank you for this invitation extended even to us these centuries later and in a very different part of the world. Grant that we, as we go into this new year, may indeed be those who put our hand into your hand, that we may be those who listen, who come who put our faith and trust in your everlasting promise. And we thank you that we may do that through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.